spoken, may God's words be heard. Amen. Amen. Now, for, first of all, happy Easter, everyone. Now, before I go further, that's a whole lot of father language in that gospel, right? You all know that God is not a boy's name, right? God is equally mother as father. But, you know, that's where you can really be bombarded with father, 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 Okay, now that I got that off my chest. Um... I attended a funeral yesterday for the husband of Mother Lauren Ackland. Um, she was the long-serving rector of Grace Episcopal in Madison, where I served as a seminarian. George Heyman, or Mr. Lauren Ackland, as he liked to refer to himself sometimes, was a good clergy spouse, and that is not easy, an avid golfer, and engaged in many parish and diocesan roles. Mother Lauren, now several years retired from Grace Madison, formed many a seminarian along the way to their ordination. And so yesterday, there were a lot of clergy, clergy spouses, and diocesan folks at this celebration of George's life. The gospel reading was the first part of the one we read this morning. And I was not the only priest in the room that was kind of hoping that Father Tom Murphy would give us some good fodder to help us get this sermon written for today because I hadn't written a word of it yet. Sadly, while a fabulous homily and a fitting one for the occasion, I had to do my own homiletical work by the grace of God. So here we go. Now, to start... There's a reason that the first part of this passage from the Gospel of John is often read at funerals. And you don't need a theological degree to see why. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And tells his disciples that where he is going, he will prepare a place for them. Yet, just as I do at funerals here, yesterday the Gospel reading was ended with I am the way and the truth and the life. The part left out, which we read today, was the next part of verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, it's in the Gospel book for funerals. We just don't read it. And the reason it's often left out at funerals is that it is not the time to address the misuse of that last bit by those who claim that only followers of Jesus called Christians today will ever hope to have a relationship with God. Funeral homilies instead are about the Easter moment for the deceased and about the Good Friday moment for those who grieve. As funerals are often attended by people of many denominations, other faiths or no faith at all, such a passage, if not addressed, would be difficult for people to hear at a time in which they are grieving. But today, we read it. And because of that, we'll spend a brief moment addressing it before we go on. No one comes to the Father except through me. Some people hear that and quote it to show that Jews will not go to heaven and all that. Door closed on all of them. Really? So let me get this straight, 
follow the Jewish Jesus and read the Holy Bible written by, wait for it, Jews, then it's only logical that this Jewish Jesus would be telling his Jewish friends that Jews have no relationship with God. Does that make any sense at all? Thank you. And not for nothing, but Muslims weren't even a thing then. Still, folks will throw them into that excluded bucket too, as well as any other faith tradition. Talk about a clobber text, which is a term often used to describe the other snippets of scriptures people like to pull out of context to exclude LGBTQ plus folks. This is when Jesus does a face palm, because this is when we make God in our image. Yet if you only read the full passage, you'll see that Jesus also says that if we have seen him, we have seen the Father. Or Mother, just to be clear. So to keep this short, think of it this way. Jesus is saying no one comes to God except through God. And we know that God, who created all humankind, also loves all humankind and will never exclude anyone. So setting that aside, there is so much we need to hear in this gospel and in the reading from Acts today, and part of it is the opening of the passage that is so comforting to us in our moments of despair. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Why would he say this? Well, first, this is part of the farewell discourses in this gospel, really really long passages where Jesus tries to prepare his followers for his death, resurrection, and ascension. Of course, it seems a bit odd hearing it now, too, right? Given that we're in Eastertide? I mean, we just moved through Holy Week, and over the past few Sundays, we've been hearing about Jesus showing up to his disciples in a series of divine um, vaccines. And now we get something from before he was crucified? Anyway, Jesus is telling them to believe in him, to know that where he goes, he will prepare a place for them. Now, older translations will have him saying that there are many mansions in God's house, like, like Jesus is going to set up some really cool resort town up in heaven or something. But I'm not saying Jesus couldn't do that, by the way. But what Jesus is saying really, is that we will be in relationship with him. They will be where he is, and he will be where they are. This isn't a construction project he's talking about. It's about relationship with him. He then adds, believe in God, believe also in me, which is better translated, trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus is really saying, set our hearts, our trust, on Jesus, and Jesus will be in relationship with us. And here's the thing. It isn't just a promise for those who have died. In fact, it's really meant for those who are on this side of that thin place between heaven and earth. Jesus tells his followers, whose movement post-resurrection would be called the way, to set their trust, their hearts on him and he will be in relationship with them. The way knows the way by trusting in Jesus and remaining in relationship with him. Then Jesus adds this, that they will do greater works than what they have seen him do. 
Sounds good, right? But, but don't you just want to say, now, Jesus, that sounds awesome. But while I would love to turn water into wine, I'm not sure I'm able to raise folks from the dead and all that. What is Jesus really saying? Our proto-martyr, which just means the first to die for the faith, Stephen, shows us. We hear his story, or really the end of it, in the small passage from the Acts of the Apostles we heard this morning. Stephen was one of the chosen seven, the first deacons selected by the apostles from among the faithful to serve those in need in the community. Stephen was described earlier in Acts 6 as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, full of grace and power, and doing great wonders and signs among the people. Well, as with others beforehand, this did not go over very well with some. Long story short, they brought him before the council and the high priest with false accusations of blasphemy and acts against the holy law. Sound familiar? His very long and eloquent defense is the beginning of this seventh chapter. It was heartfelt, spirit-filled, and spoke to the way that prophets have been killed through the history of their faith. Basically, he said, look, guys, why is it that any time somebody has some good news to share, the people in charge kill them? This is, as you can imagine, did not go over very well. And we heard what happened today. As the crowd seized with rising anger, Stephen looks upward and sees Jesus. He sets his gaze on him. And as they bring him out from the council to stone him to death, he continues to focus on Christ in this hate-filled and final moment of his life. And he asks God to forgive those who are murdering him. Which, by the way, includes that Saul guy, who we know later as that fabulous writer of many, many letters to churches everywhere, Paul. So wait a minute, you might ask. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And yet here's this good and faithful guy getting stoned. And literally, by the way, not by weed, mind you. How is this good news? Here's the thing. Look at that setting in Acts. Gangs of people filled with rage, even killing because they don't like what someone is saying. Doesn't take much of a stretch to imagine this scene. Not with all that we're experiencing in this post-pandemic world. Everywhere, people seem to be ready to pop. Like they have one nerve left and six people are getting on it before they've even had their first cup of coffee. Worse, some of those folks have access to weapons of war, AR-15s. And well, things like last night's mass murder at a Texas mall happen practically daily in our country. How then do we not let our hearts be troubled? How then do we live the Easter life as followers of Jesus we are to live? We do as Stephen did. And as Jesus was telling his followers to do in the passage we heard in the gospel. No, I'm not saying you need to go get yourself stoned to death. Though there may be some things thrown at you. Nor am I saying your heart 
hearts will not be troubled. Of course they will. And Jesus knew it too. Look, Jesus knew what was ahead for him and for all those who set their hearts on him. As Stephen recounted before the council, for whatever reason, those who speak of peace, hope, and the unconditional love of God will tick off a bunch of people whose heart has been hardened and whose God is one that just so happens to hate the same people they do. Jesus also knew our hearts would be troubled by what humanity is capable of doing to one another. And our hearts should be troubled by poverty, war, oppression, neglect of the earth, and all the ways we hurt one another in all of God's creation. Yet Jesus knew that the only way to live is to set our sights on him, who is one with God and the Holy Spirit. Jesus will be in relationship with us as we set our very hope on him, trusting in God, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and fill our hearts. Yes, our hearts will be troubled by what we see happening in the world, but rather than letting it infect us with rage, which only entraps us in a prison that will destroy us from within, we will rest those troubles on God. Now, to be clear, this isn't saying, yep, looking bad out there, Jesus. We're down by 32 billion runs, Lord, with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. You're up. Hit a homework few trillion, while we go and sit on the sidelines. No, it means that when we, as followers of Jesus, go up to face the stones flying all about, we will turn our face toward him as Jesus did. And that will save us, change the world. The thing about what is happening today is that we are far too quick to return anger for anger, hate for hate, violence for violence. It is understandable. We all feel it sometimes. And it is right to be angry and hate injustice, war, bigotry, greed, and the other ways we marginalize, hurt, and oppress one another. Yet when our hearts are troubled in this way, it is so easy to go down that slippery slope where we turn that righteous anger and hate against what is happening and turn it instead toward who is doing it. Stephen refused to do that. His face, looking upon Jesus, he asked God to forgive those who persecuted, and that made all the difference. For we know by our faith in Jesus that it is only love that can defeat hate and only light that overcomes darkness. By setting our faces toward him, our troubled hearts will be eased as we abide in his love and grace. And we will be kept free from the bonds of bitterness and hate. Free to speak prophetically as Jesus did. Free to feed those who starve for love. And then by the, the power of Jesus working in us, as we are in relationship with him, we will truly be doing wonders as he said we would. Well, we may not be turning water into wine, but we will be raising the dead into the living. For we will breathe new life into those who have lost hope. We will turn over the tables of injustice. We will heal the wounds of anger and hate by our love. While our work will have some stones flying our way as we go along, 
We will keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, trusting in God, and our hearts will not be troubled. Amen.